Now, when talking about the early church, I think one of the things that's very important for us to remember, and it's something I think that we often forget, is that the early church didn't have the New Testament that we hold in our hands and hold so dear to our hearts. I don't know if you realize that, but they didn't have the Bible like we have it today. They didn't have the Old Testament. They really didn't even have the Old Testament scriptures because those were written down in scrolls and it wasn't like there was a scroll in every house. The scrolls were in the synagogue and the rabbis would read to them, you know, from the scrolls. That's kind of how it worked in the New Testament time. So I want you to imagine this, okay? No gospels to read about the story of Jesus. They didn't have the book of Romans. They didn't have the book of of Ephesians. They didn't have Galatians. They didn't have any of that. So they were dependent upon the teachings of the apostles who were reflecting the teachings that they had heard from Jesus and who were also being moved by the Holy Spirit to connect and really to bring how the Old Testament connected to the work of Jesus and the way of Jesus. It's important that we understand that. And I think when we think about the fact that they didn't have the Bible like we have it today, it's a little easier for us to understand how these false teachings could creep into the church. And today, oftentimes, when false teachings are creeping into church, it's because people have abandoned the Bible. In their day, though, they didn't have the Bible like we have it today. And so it was a little bit easier for that type of thing to happen. And we noted last week that one of the false teachings that had crept into the churches in this region of Galatia was this. The Gentile believers were being told this. That in order to be a real Christian, believing in Jesus wasn't enough. You also had to embrace Judaism, and especially you had to be circumcised. And we noted that for a full-grown man, um, that wasn't a very appealing uh, message to hear. And so the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to these believers to combat that teaching. But the place where Paul starts here in chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2 is Paul is defending his apostleship. And, And why is he doing that? Why is it so important for him to do that? The reason is this. If they can deny Paul's apostleship, then they could deny his message. So he sets up the book of Galatians in such a way where he spends the first part of it defending his apostleship because it's going to be very, very important for us to see that as Paul moves forward and he's going to say some things in this book that are very, very important and very, very strong. So in order to validate his apostleship, Paul is going to point to two very clear things, and this is what we're going to look at tonight. Number one, his unique calling by Jesus himself. We'll see that here in chapter 1, verses 11 through 18. And then, number two, his validation from the apostles themselves 
in Jerusalem, and we're going to see that as we move tonight into chapter 2 in verses 1 through 10. So he begins with his unique calling by Jesus. Look at verse 11. He says, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul begins by sharing and stating how the message of the gospel of Jesus came to him, that it didn't come to him through human origin, but it came through divine revelation. In other words, Paul didn't get taught the gospel in some class. He didn't even hear it or was, had it shared to him by the apostles, the original apostles, but he heard it from Jesus himself. We could say that, that it didn't come out of Paul's head, but it came from God's heart. And then to emphasize just how radical this was, Paul shares a little bit of his story. He shares about his incredible conversion. You know, we all love God stories, don't we? God stories are amazing. You hear when God worked in such an amazing way in somebody's life. Well, Paul the Apostle has one of the all-time God stories. Let's read here in verse 13. See what he says. He kind of wraps it up. This is the Reader's Digest version. But he says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Note that. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now, here's what we need to understand about Paul. Paul was a student of all the students in Judaism. He was trained by the top teacher, a guy by the name of Gamaliel. He was trained. He was the teacher in Israel at that time. And Paul, he actually, his name was Saul of Tarsus back then. He was his top student. Paul would later become a Pharisee. He would become a leader in the religion of Judaism. Now, you got to understand, as a devoted, devoted Jew, Paul loved God. And he loved the law of God. He was committed to it. He was devoted to it. In his testimony, you can read it on your own, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says of his keeping the law, he says, you know, considering the law, I was blameless. That's how radical he was as it related to his, you know, just zealousness in keeping the law of God. Paul was so devoted that when this new group of people rose up there in Jerusalem claiming their message was that salvation was, could come through faith in Jesus Christ and not by keeping the law, that Paul became a religious zealot. And he sought to single-handedly destroy the followers of Jesus. He was on a mission. I'm going to rid Israel of all of these Christians and put an end to Christianity. So he went off into cities and had people imprisoned. We learn later on that he literally had people killed. Today, we would have called Paul a religious terrorist. That's how radical he was. But one day that all changed. You read about it in Acts chapter 9. 
He was on a mission, on one of these missions to go into the city of Damascus and he was going to take Christians and imprison them and rip them from their families and rip their families apart. And on the way to Damascus, he has an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. There's a bright light that Paul would later talk about in Acts 26 that was brighter than the sun at noonday. It blinds him. He, he falls to the ground and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, as Paul was blinded, the eyes of his heart were opened and he realized it's true because he asked. He goes, who, who, who's talking to me? And the voice said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. And in that moment, the eyes of his heart, he's blinded physically, but the eyes of his heart are opened up and he realizes this is real. Jesus is real. He really is risen from the dead. And in that moment, Paul was converted. And he states in that moment what would become his passion for his whole life and his pursuit. It was in these two questions. He asked this question, who are you, Lord? That would become Paul's passion. He would write later on, this is all I'm about. I want to know Jesus and him crucified. He would write in Philippians, I've laid aside everything that I might know him. That's what he was about. His passion was, I want to know you, Jesus. And his pursuit, second question, what do you want me to do? That was Paul's passion and that was his pursuit. Now, I want you to notice how Paul explains the story in the verses before us tonight. In verse 15, he says, but when it pleased God, Here's the story of his conversion. Who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. As Paul reflected on his conversion over time, it dawned on him, this was all a part of God's plan. This was all a part of God's plan for my life, that I was literally chosen from my mother's womb to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And when you think about this, I mean, it was a brilliant plan of God. That God would choose one of the most studied men in all of Judaism, a lover of the law, God would choose that man to spread the simple message of the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles and to be a defender of that simple gospel before the Jewish people. Now, I want you to note this. I'm going to kind of sum up for you here kind of the pattern of the Old Testament teachings, the Old Covenant that Paul loved and adhered to prior to his conversion. It could be summed up in this one statement from the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 11. It'll be on the screen. This is what God said to his people. If you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all of his ways and hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you and you shall possess greater and mightier nations than yourself. That was the essence of the old covenant. God saying, if you do your part, I will keep my promise. 
Now, one of the things that Paul's going to point out to us here in the book of Galatians is this, that part of the, the whole purpose of the old covenant, the whole purpose of the law that God gave was to show us, to reveal to us that we couldn't do our part, that we couldn't keep all of the ifs that we had sinned, that we had fallen short. And that's what the law pointed out. We'll, we'll see in a couple of weeks, he calls that the law was like a schoolmaster, pointing out and showing where we had gone wrong. But the message of the gospel, gospel means good news, is this, that Jesus came and Jesus did keep all of the ifs and he died in our place to pay the price for our sins for, for the sins that we committed in not keeping the ifs, Jesus came and paid the price that we deserve to, to pay. And this is the message of the gospel because Jesus kept, kept the ifs. You and I, we can experience now the thens, the blessings. I love the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. He says, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And if you're a believer here in Jesus Christ tonight, guess where you are seated tonight? Can I hear? Somebody answer me. Where are you seated tonight? In the sanctuary, you're saying, no, you are in Christ. That's your position. You are in Christ. And Paul says, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And guess where you are at? All of the thens, all of the blessings are available to us because Jesus kept all of the ifs. He did what we couldn't do. The old covenant said, do these things and live. And the new covenant in Jesus Christ says, it's been done. So live in that reality. Live and experience the blessing. So Paul goes from being a persecutor to a preacher. From one who was ready to kill Christians to one who was ready to be killed as a Christian. From one who saw the gospel as a threat to everything that he held dear in Judaism to the one who had a vision of the gospel, this good news that blew to smithereens everything that he stood for. In Judaism. Now, the next thing that Paul mentions is his unique training. Look at verse 16, the second part of it. He says, Now, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, think about this. You would think that a guy like Paul, who was that zealous, in, in coming to ex, have this experience with Jesus that he would just want to tell everybody. That he would immediately want to go and just, you know, gather and meet. And, 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 but that's not what it says. It says that Paul didn't do that. He didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood. He didn't consult, in other words, with anyone, nor did he try to go to the apostles and have an audience with them. No, what did Paul do? He headed out to the desert for a long period of time to be personally discipled by Jesus. And I want you to note a couple of lessons from this. You see, Paul understood something that we often forget. Here's lesson number one. The importance of intimacy with Jesus before activity for Jesus. We forget that. The importance 
Before Paul was going to do anything, he goes out into the desert where he has this just intimate time with Jesus. And that's something that is so important for us to realize that before we are, we can get so caught up in doing things for Jesus that we forget the fact that when Jesus called his disciples, it said that he called them to himself. He he called them, he's called you to be with him first and foremost. But here's this Old Testament scholar. He goes out into the desert to play a Bible version of connect the dots. That's what Paul's doing. He's he's a scholar, an expert in the Old Testament. But there were passages in the Old Testament that he he didn't understand that he came to finally realize those were all about Jesus. Like in Genesis 3 when it says that the seed of the woman was going to crush the head of the serpent. It would be bruised by the serpent, but it would crush the serpent's head. And it probably, the light comes on. That was about Jesus. He's the seed of the woman, born of the virgin. Passages like Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 that spoke of this suffering Messiah that the Jews would scratch their head and go, what in the world is that about? That all of a sudden Paul's realizing that was about Jesus. And here's what's so interesting. God had uniquely picked this man with this incredible Old Testament background. God uniquely picks this particular guy because God was going to call him to write 13, 14 if you count the book of Hebrews, as some believe Paul wrote, 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. It's brilliant. And all through Paul's writing, he's interweaving all of these Old Testament passages to speak of these New Testament truths. So in the desert, Paul came forth from that time, not just convinced that Jesus was truly the Messiah, but radically in love with Jesus. And that was something that just marked his his ministry, his adoration. He had just such a heart of worship for Jesus. And Paul's motive was for, for serving Jesus was that he was so blown away by the reality that Jesus loved him and chose him. So before, or excuse me, Paul chose intimacy before activity. That's a good model for all of us. And notice verse 18. He says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. So three years and remained there 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia. And I was unknown, note that, by face to the churches of Judea in that area around Jerusalem which were in Christ. But they were hearing only that he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy and they glorified God. I mean, here's lesson number two and I want you to note this. Paul chose mission, his mission over popularity. After three years, he finally goes up to Jerusalem to meet with Peter and James, but he's only there. These two pillars of the church, but Paul's only there 15 days. He's only there 15 days, and then he's off to fulfill the mission that God had called him to, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Instead of trying to fit in with all the big dogs and be someone, Paul was content to be unknown, he says. 
to do what God had called him to do. And the result, he says, is that God was glorified in and through his life. And here's the application for us. Listen, church. God is most glorified when we are being what God has called us to be and doing what God has called us to do. So don't get sidetracked. Don't get sidetracked in wanting to be something that God didn't call you to be or to do something that God has not called you to do. Just be faithful with what God has put before you. Be faithful with what he's called you to and let him do the rest. Now, as we enter into chapter two tonight, we'll see the second thing that points out to Paul's validation of his apostleship. Notice he says, then after 14 years, so you add this with the three years that, that he, before he went up to Jerusalem, this is 17 years after his conversion. He says, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. Now we briefly talked about this last week, that in Acts chapter 15, there was a gathering in Jerusalem to deal with this controversy of the gospel being presented to the Gentiles. And again, I remind you, there's no New Testament yet. And so many of the Jewish believers, I mentioned this last week, they were having a hard time. They, they're accepting Jesus, but they're having a hard time just completely letting go of their Jewish traditions and the traditions of their, their Judaism. And some of those believers were laying this trip on the Gentiles, trying to get them to also embrace Judaism. And, and they were having a hard time to figure, it, figure all this out. And so the church leaders gathered together to come up with an official statement and a policy of how to deal with the Gentiles. And they invited Paul and Barnabas to come and share, knowing that these two guys had been very, very fruitful for 14 years serving among the Gentiles. That they had firsthand knowledge of how the gospel was working among the Gentiles. So notice verse two, it says, and I went up by revelation, the idea being there, God revealed to him that he should go and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Here's Paul's humility. He says, I spoke with them privately because I wanted to make sure I wasn't running in vain. I wanted to make sure that this gospel I was, you know, preaching, that they, that they were in agreement. So he meets privately with them. And we see his heart of just humility in that. And what Paul shares next is very, very interesting. Verse three. He says, yet not even, note that, not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. He goes, this is what I found. I get to Jerusalem and the apostles, they're not, they're not hung up on circumcision either. Nobody's telling Titus that he's got to go get circumcised. It wasn't an issue with them. We were on the same page, in other words. And here's what was determined. Here's how this whole problem started, he tells us in verse 4. And this occurred because false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Note that they came in by stealth. They came in by secret. Seeking to bring people into bondage. I'm always leery of people that want to have secrets. Usually not something, there's usually not something good going on when people are, you know, sharing secrets, keeping secrets. These guys were seeking to bring others into bondage. And remember what I said last week. Legalism often happens or occurs because misery loves company. 
And people are saying, you know, their own convictions. Like, if I can't do this, no one should be able to do this. And we lay these trips on one another. Well, these men had their own hang-ups with the gospel, and they snuck into the church, and they're bringing this conviction to bring people into bondage. And Paul says in verse 5, to whom we did not yield even, or yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Paul says, look, they snuck in to spy on us and take Take away our freedom in Christ. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow these Jewish traditions, but we refused them. We didn't give in to them for a single moment because we wanted to protect the gospel that we were sharing with you. And then he says this in verse 6. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. I want to read that again in the New Living Translation. It'll be on the screen. I think it makes a lot more sense. Easier to understand. He says, and the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me because God has no favorites. And then he says this. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised, that's the Gentiles, had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised, that's the Jews, was to Peter. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised, also worked effectively in me for the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace, that's the favor of God, that has been given to me, they gave Barnabas, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, the Jews, and they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which we were eager to do. So here we see Paul's second validation. The apostles there in Jerusalem validate Paul's message and his apostleship. And Paul says they, they extended to us the right hand of fellowship. In Acts 15, it actually says that they referred to Paul and Barnabas in this way, as beloved Paul and Barnabas. Now this validation of Paul's apostleship was so important to understand because as we see later on, as we go through the book of Galatians, Paul is going to speak with such authority. And this is setting up for why we can embrace what he said. His apostleship was through divine revelation, called by Jesus, validated by the church. Now, as we close tonight, I want to quickly make two final insights that I find to be very encouraging. Number one, I want you to note how unconventional the wisdom of God is. He selects Paul, this orthodox Jewish scholar, to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. These people that know nothing about Jehovah. Nothing about Yahweh. And God picks Peter, this Galilean hillbilly, to bring the gospel to the scholarly Jews. It's interesting. It's unconventional. Remember in Acts chapter 4, they said of, of Peter and, and John, they, they marveled that these two guys were untrained and uneducated, but they were marveling at their wisdom. And it says, and they could tell that they had been with Jesus. Now, I find this to be Ironic, Because if I was setting this up, I think I would have switched it. 
I would have been like, you know, Paul's perfect for the Jews. He's an expert in Judaism. Surely he can reason with all of these people. That, made, that would make the most sense to me. But that's not what God did. In fact, every single time Paul tried to reason with the Jews, it backfired on him. You read in the book of Acts, every time he says to reason with them, they get mad, there's riots, they want to stone him to death, they want to put him in prison. Here's what God thought. I want you to catch this. God thought it would be much more impressive and effective to take this man who was this Orthodox Jew, and this is what the Orthodox Jews believed. They believed that a Gentile was only good for one thing, to fuel the fires of hell. That's what they taught. That's what they preached. That's what Paul, prior to his conversion, that's what he thought about the Gentiles. And God would send this very guy who used to preach that and believe that to the Gentiles with this message, God loves you and he wants to spend eternity with you. That's why he sent his son Jesus to come and die on the cross for your sins. And Jew and Gentile can be one in Christ. Isn't that amazing? And then God would take this uneducated, untrained guy like Peter and have him go to the preach to the Jews who would be amazed at how this untrained guy, under the inspiration and anointing of the Holy Spirit, seemed to know the scriptures and understood things about the Messiah that their religious leaders had no clue about and the bible tells us that god does that type of thing he works in that type of way so that he can be glorified that when we see him working in unconventional ways we scratch our heads and go there's no way that that would work except for god here's the second thing i want you to note god desires that in jesus or excuse me god's desire is that jesus would be revealed in us Look back at chapter 1, verse 15. Something easy to miss here, and I'm going to end with this. It says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, catch this, verse 16, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Listen. It wasn't just that Jesus was revealed to Paul, but Jesus was revealed in Paul. He was revealed in Paul, and that's the purpose of gospel transformation, is that Jesus seeks to be revealed in all of us, in our lives. Jesus has been revealed to you so that he can be revealed in you to the world around you. That's God's plan for all of us, to make us like Jesus. For this purpose, Paul says, that Jesus would be revealed in him that he might preach the gospel to the Gentiles that he could tell others about Jesus. That's the same thing that God has called us to. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this amazing conversion story of Paul the Apostle. And Lord, I pray that as we just take that time now to break up into our groups and discuss the things that we've heard tonight and just to discuss about the importance of the gospel, Lord, I pray that we as your people would stir up one another. And Lord, that we would realize that Jesus, it's his desire, it's your desire to be revealed in us, in our lives. Not just to us, but in us. 
so that we might shine as bright lights in a dark world. So God, I pray that you'd bless these group times now in Jesus' name. Amen.